Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Welcome everyone to another Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. We have today uh, Professor Anna Pombo. So Professor Anna Pombo is from Portugal. She did her uh, PhD in Oxford where she identified transcription factors mammalian nuclei. She then was awarded a Royal Society Dorothy Hodgkin Fellowship and started her research group in 2000 in the MRC. And since then, she has moved her lab to the Berlin Institute for Medical Systems Biology at the Max Delbrecht Center. She uh, has recently combined uh, epigenomics and physics modeling and high-resolution imaging to show the importance of uh, long-range genomic contracts between active genes and poised genes. Uh, she's well known for developing the genome architecture mapping, a very nice technology to map the 3D structure of chromosomes uh, genome-wide, which has unique advantages. And in general, we can say that her lab uh, is more interested in understanding the interplay between gene regulation and genome architecture. So thank you, Anna, for being with us today. I'm going to just kick off the conversation by asking you how and when actually did your interest for the genome architecture started and how would you would explain it to the public? Thank you, first of all, for having me. Uh, my interest in um, 3D genome architecture started actually very early when I was in university uh, and uh, I was a, a student of, of biochemistry, uh, but I was fascinated that uh, uh, the genome which contains the genes, it's very interesting because uh, we have over 20,000 genes in the genome, uh, and, but they are grouped in, in long molecules called the chromosomes each of them with 1,000 to 2,000 genes. And so it's very fascinating to think how, or at least it was for me to think, how uh, in each cell of our body, let's say we have over 200 cell types, how in each cell, uh, each of these uh, genes are regulated since they are all together in the same molecule. I, I found it immensely fascinating to understand how we could uh, organize the genome. So the one analogy is to think of a library with uh, 20,000 books or more, uh, and we have uh, 20 shelves to organize them. And uh, um, how can we then ensure that uh, you know the books are accessible to who needs to use them when? Um, and so, yeah, I was, it was then <laughs> very early, in my early 20s, uh, that I got hooked. Um, and as being the one who developed the genome architecture mapping, which is the first genome-wide experimental method for capturing 3D proximities, can you talk about it more and uh, also maybe how this technology, how this method actually has been enhanced by the single-cell technologies available now? Um, so the genome architecture mapping uh, method uh, was uh, really started... Uh, after we so uh, with, with this question uh, about um, where are genes and how they organized, uh, we started uh, as in many others uh, looking with imaging methods uh, at where single genes were positioned in the nucleus relative to others to try to see if there was some kind of pattern. And indeed, by studying single genes and single chromosomes or pairs of genes, uh, it became uh, over the the nineties, early two thousand. 
uh, clear that the genome had, uh, um, was organized in a way that active genes would be compartmentalized and uh, other features. And the challenge uh, then for me at, at that time, this was in the early 2000s, was to understand how could we look at all genes at the same time because it was very difficult to understand the the, the patterns or, or the logics just by looking at a few uh, at a time. Uh, and so with the genome architecture mapping, it was essentially impossible to look at uh, the positions of all genes and all genomic regions relative to each other. Uh, and uh, we then took a long time to develop this technology um, but um, this then brought us to the to the next important question, which is that when we look at how these chromosomes are organized in different cells, so the analogy of the books would be uh, how you organize books in different libraries across uh, London, for example, uh, and you may find they're not all organized the same way, but it may still work, or some things may work better than others. And so, uh, as we were looking uh, with imaging methods, it was clear that there was some relation to how active, where active genes would be organized, but it was you'd always find variability within the cell. And, and this was, for many years, confusing and a bit deflating for the nuclear organization field, that we couldn't find the strict relationships. And it's actually made the field uh, not have the credibility I think it deserved in those early years. And so we now know that genes are not uh, on all the time, they on and off. Uh, we also now know that um, uh, we have the NASA, right? NASA promoter contacts, uh, and that these may proceed or co-occur with when the gene is active. Uh, and there's a number of different phenomena going on in the nucleus. And so it was, it, um, it is still difficult to relate how these different organizations of the books in the libraries really relate with how the nucleus works, how each uh, library can be used, for example. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I think the, the next step, at least... For, for us, but also for other technologies emerging in the field, in particular with the um, imaging, uh, uh, a big question is to really relate what uh, each cell is expressing at any one time with uh, the topology. So we can really have in the same cell, how is the organization of the genome related with which genes are expressed at that exact moment. So the genome architecture mapping is a method that uh, relies on um, sequencing of DNA, which is present in each sample in very, very small amounts. And so in each of our uh, nuclear slices, which are used uh, to produce the, the 3D maps uh, by genome architecture mapping, we essentially have something like 5% of the genome of a single cell. And so the idea to then combine it with other single cell technologies is to take advantage of approaches that uh, have been developed, for example, for single cell um, analysis of the transcriptome in combination with the protein detection. 
such as SiteSec, which uh, uh, is a technology developed by the New York Genome Center, uh, where you can, for example, tag antibodies with uh, oligonucleotides. And so this is one of the uh, approaches that should be uh, easy to combine with genome architecture mapping. And so as we produce our cryosections, uh, we can incubate them with antibodies tagged with uh, oligonucleotides and in one go um, extract the DNA both from the chromosomes, uh, the genome of the cell, and at the same time the uh, DNA that is tagging the nucleotides. Conversely, there are ways to detect RNA uh, which rely on the conversion of the RNA signal into a DNA molecule um, and there's different ways to do this. Uh, and those methods should also be possible to combine with genome architecture mapping. And so the idea there is if we have a, a tissue, uh, such as an epithelium, uh, where you have different cells undergoing uh, transitions uh, in their state, in their gene expression, we could, uh, for example, uh, extract in parallel all the RNA from each of the slices from each cell with the genomic content, sort the slices, and then... Uh, with this, uh, then be able to have uh, 3D genome maps that relate uh, with the cell type or the cell state and eventually even consider transitions uh, such as those measured with approaches um, in the single cell biology field. Very interesting. Um, and I think uh, everyone is looking forward for all these single cell technologies to emerge and become one. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Um, what really strikes me when I was looking up to you, um, you were always collaborating with other scientists, like physicists and mathematicians. How important do you think is collaboration in our field? Most of biology fields now, I think, really uh, require or benefit strongly from these collaborations. Uh, because very often the problems are in, at the interface of, of these disciplines. And so with chromosomes, if we consider they are a very long, a very long molecule, uh, you're immediately in a, um, a question of uh, how does this object behave uh, in the physics world. And um, also if we are interested in how transcription factors bind, uh, they have different concentrations, so we need to think of thermodynamics and how concentrations, affinities interplay with uh, uh, the, the polymer. Um, also, the methods, if you're working with imaging, you have very complex data and you need to analyze it. Uh, if you're working with genomics, you have also very complex data, and so the computational, statistical and mathematical methods are essential. And so for me, having been trained in biochemistry at the University of Lisbon, I was lucky to actually have training in these areas. And so I have topics of thermodynamics, math, statistics, etc. And uh, I think this is something increasingly important in our training of students, um, either through the programs of the universities, but also through uh, their own um, efforts, right, to, to acquire these uh, multidisciplinary skills. Uh, so at least, at least to a level where we can speak across disciplines. Uh, and so to me, this was, it's actually the, 
probably one of the most exciting aspects of, of my job is the idea that every day I learn something uh, either from the science we do or from the uh, amazing collaborators uh, that we have and what we learn as we go along in all, all of these areas. Yeah, I think it's, as you said, it's very important because we now have all the technologies, but at the same time, all these technologies produce so much data that um, it is needed to have more collaborations across different fields. Um, so what do you think is the future directions in our field? I think the vision for me, and I think it should be for many of us, is uh, when will we be able to start making predictions, right? So, uh, and this is one, um, so if we want to understand uh, human disease or a genetic variation or how one cell becomes another cell, how one cell becomes diseased, um, even how a protein should work in a certain environment, I think the long-term vision, you know, where we should, most of us be heading on is to uh, deliver predictions, either by developing the strategies needed to make predictions or if you are in the computational mathematical field to actually derive predictions. Um, I think another uh, vision for me is as we create more and more technologies and I'm uh, guilty in, in, in this as well, uh, I think we should also keep in check uh, what are the minimal number of technologies that will be most informative. And I think here with the modeling and the predictions, we should be able also to learn uh, this. So if we um, we need to think of the diagnostics of a particular disease, we probably want to know what is the minimum effort and cost we should uh, have to deliver that result. So I think as we see an explosion of technologies, uh, I guess naturally there will be some ecology and some technologies being lost, uh, that's being born as, as always. But now it seems particularly intense with the genomics. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, it is good to also do some work or keep in check what is the minimum combination that you need to learn about from a given system. And um, just to and our discussion what advice would you give to someone who would like to pursue a career similar to yours i'm, I'm not sure that they should necessarily have a career similar to mine um my, my career my career was not so linear uh, in particular when i started being a pi it was a very difficult time um and i think when um, issue I'm, I'm undervalued or was not completely aware in the early days is that uh, sometimes some questions um, you if you ask a question too early you may actually be penalized for it <laughs> um, and so in my case I, I do think I asked several questions too early um, one obvious one is the uh, transcription factories which are now being reborn uh, as uh, transcription hubs and a number of other uh, nomenclatures. Uh, and uh, it's now, you know, it probably now seems very nice that uh, these, uh, these concepts are coming back, 
But at the time, it was uh, yeah, it it was very taxing for the career development and the opportunities that uh, were um, given to me. So I do think that on one hand is great, and you will hear this advice from many colleagues to follow your um, your ideas, uh, your dreams. But I think it's good to also keep in check uh, which questions the rest of the world is is ready to hear an answer for. Um, and to you know to balance it out, I, I I I would have not asked different questions, but you'd manage uh, things differently. So as I became more uh, senior, of course, I started having different projects. So uh, the more risky ones, and also the more um, bread and butter ones, so people could see that I was uh, also you know could ask questions they related with, not only questions they were still not aware of. I hope this is uh, um, a good advice. Yes, I don't know if, Vasya, this answers your your question. Yes, I think it's just uh, important uh, because, as you said, everything is changing and it's about the, uh, the timing. Because I remember when the first uh, sequence, the genome, and then we had all this waste and junk uh, that it was found, and now everyone actually is working on this, the so-called junk, as they said back in the days. Exactly. Um, so yeah, everything is changing. Yes. And um, thank you very much for the discussion today. I think it was very uh, helpful for the public to get to know you more. Um, and you're an excellent scientist. And thank you so much. Thank you, Vasya. This was a pleasure. Nice to meet you and to have this discussion. Thank you.